Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. It can be found on page 904 of the Blue Pew Bibles. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This is the word of God. It's good to be back with you. Um, it's really good to pray with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this afternoon and um, we recognize that where we happen to be in John is where we happen to be in the church calendar. As we prepare for Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Father, we praise you that today is also a remembrance of Easter Sunday. That today, as we have sung, the blissful thought that our sins, not in part but in whole, have been nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Father, we know that you did not take our sins as actions as such, and nail them to a wooden cross unpersonified. We know that it is not our actions that hung on the cross, but we know that you, Jesus, surely bore our griefs and that you carried our sorrows that you were pierced for our transgressions, that you, Jesus, were crushed for our iniquities. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Because of you, we have been redeemed from death. It was the will of your Father to crush you instead of to crush us. And we praise you for this because it sets us free. But we confess to you that we struggle. 
to live in light of its reality. Father, you know us as human beings. There's not one of us that's before you now that wouldn't want to live free of guilt. But Father, to think that Jesus died for us and therefore he calls us to lay down our lives for others. It's too much to consider. And so we're asking you to come and to pour out your spirit on us today. We invoked you, Holy Spirit, in the very beginning. And as we come to your word, we invoke you with the very promises that you embed in your word that you take your word and plant it deep into our hearts so that we would see Jesus and seeing him, we might be transformed as your image bearers into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory, weightiness, purpose, value, impress. Father, we know that that is your work. We know that it is what you have promised to do. Father, there are some who are with us today who have yet to put their faith in you. And we pray that they would see Jesus today in such a way that undeniably so, they would bow their knee and confess that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord and that they would believe that you have died for their sins and that your righteousness has been accredited to them. Lord Jesus, I believed that a long time ago. And there are many of us here who have put our faith and trust in that a long time ago. In the realities that Christ has died for us. But Father, I am the one who struggles to die today. I'm the one that struggles to lay my life down. I'm the one that struggles to deny myself and to take up my cross and to follow you. I'm the one. And Father, we pray that you would do such a work among us today that to a woman and to a man gathered here, we would leave this service more convinced that you have called us to die, more convinced that you have called us to give our lives away, more convinced that you have called us to wait until that day for every tear to be wiped away, but on this day to enter into the brokenness. Lord Jesus, to do that, we need to see you. We need to see you in all your clarity. And that's what you've promised to do now. So again, we come to your word. We ask you to use your word to shape us, to change us. And we thank you that we can pray this way, not because it's a great thought that we have, but because it's the what you have promised to do. And you have promised to do it until the day that Jesus comes back. 
Father, thank you that you're not done with any one of us here. And that gives us a lot of courage. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The Gospel of John takes a turn in the 18th chapter. You see the turn in the very first verse that we read when Jesus had spoken these words. It's the second of that phrase that we've seen. Jesus spoke many words to the disciples between chapter 13 and chapter 17. But it says at the beginning of chapter 17 that after Jesus had spoken those words to his disciples, he then turned and prayed. And we notice that Jesus' prayer focuses on so many themes that he preached to the disciples in that upper room. And so it shouldn't surprise us as we look at this passage that we see that phrase when Jesus had spoken these words that what we are going to see is the fulfillment of what Jesus had prayed. This scene takes place in the garden. And the theme of this scene is whom do you seek? Not what do you seek? Not freedom. Not joy. Not peace. But whom do you seek? Whom do you desire? We are entering into a place of confrontation. I'm old enough, but not so old to have remembered this in person. But you remember the places of confrontation in our culture, right? Muhammad Ali, the best of the best. The boxer, I'm the greatest, I'm Muhammad Ali. When he fought George Foreman, he fought the rumble in the jungle. (laughs) In 1974. In 1975, he he fought the thriller in Manila when he fought Joe Frazier, mighty Joe Frazier. John turns because he's definitely from Boston, right? Because there's no rhyming where this place of confrontation is. It's simply the garden. And that is where our attention is drawn. There is very little talking, and there is a lot of watching. And the question that looms over us is, whom are you seeking? We are told right here that Jesus goes out of the city. We're not sure if after chapter 15, Jesus went out of the upper room and began to walk through the city. Because there at the end of chapter 15, he says, let's arise and go from here. But then he continues to talk, right? But now we're told that Jesus exits the city and we're told that he goes across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So when you leave the city of Jerusalem 
I learned this from maps. I've never been there. I look forward to going there one day with maybe some of you all. When you leave the city of Jerusalem, the walls come to the edge of an almost cliff, but more like a ravine that is very steep. And the trail winds down the ravine, and in the bottom of the ravine is this brook Kidron that is usually dry, except in the rainy season. And Jesus would have wound down that trail and would have crossed over the brook of Kidron and gone back up some two, three hundred feet into this garden on the edge of the Mount of Olives. And we are told that Jesus went there often with his disciples. Just stop for a minute. You go, in the history of the Bible, don't we know that since the second chapter of Genesis, since the third chapter of Genesis, excuse me, that human beings were kicked out of the garden until the promised seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. What must it have been like for the disciples as they began to wonder and understand that Jesus was more than another human being like themselves when they hung out with him in the garden? This garden that they regularly went to, that Jesus himself took them to, that Judas himself knew. We are told in verse 3, so Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. He has a band of soldiers. That use of the word band of soldiers could be as many as 600 Roman soldiers with him. There's not a scholar who claims to know how many there were, but that's what the word means that he uses. There were also officers and guards from the Pharisees and the high priests. The last time we saw Judas was when Jesus dismissed him, and right before he was dismissed, do you remember what John said about Judas? John said that the devil entered Judas. And now we see Judas with his band of humanity snaking his way across the Kidron Valley down the hill from the temple and across the creek and snaking his way into the garden. Make no mistake, this is a scene of great confrontation. The stage is set. The players are all there. Humanity, the devil, and Jesus. And the question that hangs over this entire scene is whom do you seek? We come to the meat of the passage, verses 4 through 9. This is very obviously to you and to me who know this passage 
the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. That's what is portrayed for us in these next verses. What is clarified for you and me are three questions. Did he lay down his life or was it taken from him? Who exactly is the good shepherd who's laying down his life? And finally, why did he lay down his life? I know whom I'm speaking to. I know this is not new to you. But this is what we need to see if you and I are going to be transformed into his image. We need to see Christ. So the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Does he lay it down or is it taken away? We'll read verse 4 with me. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? John highlights many things that the other gospel writers don't. The other gospel writers go into different aspects of the passion narrative. But John focuses on Jesus' complete knowledge of what is going on. Did he lay down his life or was it taken away? He knew all that was about to happen to him. Not only did he know all that was about to happen to him, but he moved toward them as this band came in to the garden. He moved out of the trees and into the light of their torches. And this time in the garden, he was the one asking the questions. This is what John wanted us to hear. This is the witness that is read before us. This is the good shepherd who said only a few chapters earlier, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Well, who is laying down his life? It seems to be what Jesus wants to emphasize in these verses. The second of our three questions. Jesus asks the questions. The first time that Satan is in the garden, who asks the questions? Satan asks the questions. Satan challenged Adam and Eve's character of who God really is, of whether God really does love them and if God is really going to provide for them. Do you remember that? But now that Satan is back in the garden, we're told that Judas is right there standing among them. We've been told by John that Satan has already entered into Judas Satan is in the garden. Recognize that this is confrontation. And Jesus looks and says, whom do you seek? 
The answer is very interesting. Jesus the Nazarite is what it says. In our passage, it's easier to read Jesus of Nazareth. This focus that Jesus is from a specific place, this idea that gives him his human origin as far as they knew, right? But as one commentator points out, it's not Jesus of Nazareth. It's technically Jesus the Nazarite. The focus of Jesus on his humanity. The man. The image bearer. The Old Testament has a phrase that says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Whom do you seek? Jesus the Nazarite with weapons. Because the intention is to strike the sheep, the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But Jesus responds to them. Look in verse 5. Then they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus said to them, I am he. Now you can look at your footnotes as easily as I can. And it actually says in the Greek, ego eimi. And if there's any Greek that you might want to know, that's be a good one. Because he simply says, I am. We've seen seven statements that Jesus has preferenced with I am in the Gospel of John. And we have seen another place where Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. These words have been on the lips of Jesus before, and they spoke not of his humanity, but of his deity. Not of the one who bore the image, but of the source of the image. And at the words, I am, listen to what happens. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Commentators are twisted up on this. What happened? I am convinced because of chapter 17 and Jesus praying, keep them in your name, that Jesus is purposefully using the name I am. And that those who have come to arrest him fall down in his very presence. And isn't it amazing that they ask him again, or that he asks them again. It says that after they fell down, verse 7 says, whom do you seek? And recognize that this time from the ground, not from standing, they say, Jesus, the Nazarite. Jesus is a complicated person. Nathan mentioned Cyril of Alexandria and the work that he did in the 5th century to help the church understand that there is one person with two natures 
Jesus, the Son of God, very God of very God, light of light, begotten, not made, one with the Father, and that Jesus is the Son of Man, human in every way like you and me, yet without sin. So who is the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep? Jesus makes it clear in the question of whom do you seek that it's not just a shepherd, but the shepherd laying down his life. Not just an image bearer, but the source of the image who is laying down his life. Jesus doesn't let it go. He asks twice. And then he says, I told you that I am, which is what it says there again in verse 8. So if you seek me, let these go. So why, our last question, is the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep? You were here last week, and if you weren't, it's online for you to listen to Nathan's sermon. Last week, as he talked about what Jesus prayed for, Jesus prayed that his disciples would be kept in his name, He prayed that they would be delivered from the evil one. He prayed that they would be sanctified. And he prayed that God would be glorified. Look at what happens in this scene. He's laying down his life, and in so doing, he is keeping them in his name. Jesus said, I told you that I'm he, so if you're seeking me, let these go. Who is in authority in this scene? It's Jesus. And what happens to the disciples? They are not arrested with him. What else does Jesus pray? That we would be protected from the evil one. Jesus is commencing his act of redemption in this garden and in so doing is redeeming his people from death. While we were dead in our sins and transgressions, God made us alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Jesus lays down his life that we would be redeemed from death. Jesus doesn't say, like Moses, who was also given the name I am at the burning bush, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Jesus keeps his people in the name that had been given to him as the Son, as God himself, And he says, I am, therefore let them go. Radically different. 
Jesus has just prayed in John 17 that God would be glorified. The question that is always hanging in the garden, and it has been since Genesis 3, is who is God? Satan asked the questions of Adam and Eve, and you know their failure in the subsequent fall of all humanity. But in this second scene in the garden, it is Jesus that asks the questions so that the truth of who God is might be known. The second Adam, who is the Son of God, Jesus reveals to us in this garden the glory of God as he reveals to us in this garden the triune love of God for us. And the garden causes us to stop and asks us a question of worship. Whom do you seek? Whom do you desire? Satan sought the man to destroy him. Do you seek the man Jesus? The one who models for us what human life is really like? The one who would lead to a better self a better life, better outcomes? Or do you seek I am? The one who sees us, the one who hears us and knows us and saves us by laying down his life for us and transforms us for his very glory. Whom do you and I seek? But I would argue that the fourth reason that Jesus laid down his life and the fourth thing that Nathan told us that he prayed about last week was that we might be sanctified, right? How do we see this? Look in these last verses. This is the end. Verse 10 says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? What does Peter demonstrate to us? I believe that Peter demonstrates to us that our hearts are against the idea of laying our lives down. In short, that our heart's desire is against submitting ourselves to God's will. Peter is there and he has a sword. The word is not a sword that is long like this the word that is used is this little knife. About the only thing it would be good for is if you were really close to somebody to stab them with it. But 
Peter takes that sword and hacks with it, right? And he misses Malchus's head. Who knows if Malchus was fast? I have no idea. Who knows if it glanced off Malchus's helmet? I don't know. What we do know is it cut off Malchus's ear. Thankfully, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus picked the ear up and healed Malchus. But what we see in Peter is a demonstration of our own hearts. Don't lay your life down. Fight. But Jesus tells Peter, put the sword back in its sheath. And then he asks one more question. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Imagine Peter's possible answers to that. Yes, no, or maybe, right? Yes, no, or maybe. Peter obeys Jesus, so he doesn't say no. Peter has no idea that the crucifixion is about to happen. At best, he probably at this point says maybe. But Peter, in the course of his life, will change and will end up himself crucified as he proclaims the name of Christ as the Savior of the world. There's a transformation that happens. Nathan said this in his sermon last week, to be kept in his name is in some way to be made like him. I thought about that for a while this week. Jesus laid his life down here in the garden. He laid his life down to protect us. He had prayed to the Father and he said, I have guarded them in my name and not one of them has been lost. And now, Father, you guard them in your name. Jesus laid down his life to redeem us because, again, it's not our sins that were nailed to the cross. It's that Jesus bore our sins and Jesus, the second person, Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was nailed to the cross. It pleased God to crush him. And Jesus is the one who transforms us. That in some way we are made like him. It causes me to stop this week and to ask myself, whom am I seeking Am I seeking a Savior, the focus of which is not the laying down of his life, so that the focus of my life also doesn't have to be being laid down? Because if I am seeking a Savior who laid down his life for me, Jesus has already told them, and I'm telling you, love one another, lay down your lives for each other. Lose your life. 
Are you seeking a Savior who doesn't lay down his life in hopes that you don't have to lay down your life? Or are we together seeking Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God who laid down his life for us? Look at me, all of you. Someone died for you. And that someone is none other than Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us so that we would lay down our lives for each other. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I lay you down. I lay you down. Are you like me that resists being laid down? What do we do? We look at Jesus who laid his life down for us. Listen, will you pray with me today? Father, Where would you have us lay our lives down? If you really pray that, he's already told you where it's going to start. Right here. Us. But he has also said that the way we would love each other would mean that a watching world believes that he is the Christ. Because they would say, who? Who? would ever lay their lives down like that unless that Jesus is real. John and the passion narrative continues. But the question that continues to hang over us is whom do you seek? Whom do you desire? Let's go before him at this table.